Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Du L, and I am a Recover Compulsive Overeater. Today is Friday, August 14. Uh, we're studying from the AA Big Book. Uh, we're going to be on page 155, the first paragraph, starting with He Calls to the Clergyman. And today's readers are Chris F. reading the Tall Steps, Nancy S. reading the Tall Traditions, and my main readers are Eileen B. and Sharon H. Uh, the reference number for yesterday, uh, Thursday, August 13, is 7922. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through share experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive eating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Chris F. to read the 12 steps. Chris F., start, press star one to unmute. Uh, thank you, Dues. This is Chris F. Thank you. Overeater. And um, I can't believe I'm asking this question, but um, do you want me to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous? Overeaters Anonymous, please. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I will now ask Nancy S. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Duke. Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy S. from Wisconsin, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise as problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do this service and I pass. Thank you so much. Um, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions of the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 155, and we're gonna read that first paragraph um, where it starts, he calls to the clergyman, and we're gonna read through two paragraphs ending with do anything that he says, but that. And we're gonna focus our sharing on the second paragraph. I will now ask Amy E. to begin reading. Amy, press star one to unmute. Eileen, this is Eileen B. Did you want me to start? Yes, I'm sorry. Did I get the names confused? Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, Eileen B. Sorry. Okay. 
Oh, that's okay. All right. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Eileen B., a recovered compulsive eater from Pennsylvania. His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town, who, though formerly able and respected, was then nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It was the usual situation, home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrears, and standing damaged. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he had made his livelihood? He would do anything, he said, but that. So good morning, everyone on Vision for You and Do for your service today. This is Eileen, recovered, newly recovered compulsive eater from Pennsylvania. I'm very grateful to be doing service today, and this is my first opportunity to read. So very grateful for that. I just loved this second paragraph, and I really just want to zone in on no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience was absolute, he conceded was absolutely necessary. I thought I had so much willpower. I did have willpower. Um, I did, um, over the years, put down, you know, started diets, stopped diets, put down foods, started new exercise plans. But I, I could stop, but I could not stay stopped. And, of course, this disease is progressive. So the the times that I was able to stay stopped got shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, and I knew that it had to be, you know, I got to the point where I could not do this anymore. I knew that it had to be something outside myself. I focused so much, so many times over the years on diets and exercise and looking outside of myself to fix a problem that was inside myself. And um, I just really came to a turning point in the fall um, because the past couple years I've just experienced so much loss and I was having so much change in my life that I just, I knew that I just could not do this anymore. It was like it was my hitting bottom. Um, and I knew that I, I needed something beyond that. And for the newcomers listening, I just want to say that for years, um, you know, I've heard don't quit before the miracle happens. I didn't know what that meant. Actually, I thought the miracle was putting down the food and not compulsively eating anymore. That's really what I thought the miracle would be for me. And now that I'm living in recovery, having worked the steps, um, that's just a fringe benefit. For me, the miracle is having this spiritual experience that I don't have to live in resentment anymore. I don't have to live in fear anymore, um, self-pity. Um, I have a wonderful higher power um, the 12 steps, I'm living in 10, 11, and 12 every day, a wonderful network of friends that support me and love me, and I have another way to live. 
And um, I knew that, you know, I could not stay abstinent, you know, just putting down the food. That It's really not about the food. It's, it's what caused me to eat the food. And the steps are something that, you know, I take every day. I can't put those aside. I have to live in 10, 11, and 12. And when I really, through recovery, had learned that, that that's what living in recovery was about, um, and then maintaining a close contact with my higher power, that's what abstinence is for me. That's what living life is for me. Um, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, I finally got that through working the steps. And it, and it wasn't about, you know, the food. It was about what caused me to eat the food and that I don't have to live my life that way anymore. Living in 10 and 11 and 12 is such a beautiful way of life. And just connecting with my network and uh, helping others, which is huge, and most importantly, staying close with my higher power. Um, that was that was the miracle for me. That was the spiritual experience I needed uh, to live a different life. And um, thank you for letting me share. I'll pass. Okay, thank you, Aline. I'm sorry for that <laughs> mishap. Uh, we will open it up for sharing now. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Larry. Larry. Anyone else? Okay, we'll, we'll start off with those three. Um, Bella G, Larry K, Vasa O, Lois. and Lois. Lois, can I have your last initial? Sorry, Lois M. Okay, we'll start off with those four, and then we'll open it up again for sharing. Bella G., you're up next. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Du, for doing... <clears throat> sorry. Thank you, Du, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful, wonderful paragraph. Um, a spiritual experience. And then the paragraph finished with, he would do anything, he said, but that. Yes, I was there. Before the program, you know, I grew up in a religious family, and I had God in my life, and I knew that, yes, it's, it's necessary, a, a spiritual life. But for me, I believe that, God is a punishing God, that God will punish, and he's punishing me all the time because I am doing bad, because I am not a good person. And yes, even though I knew that I needed a spiritual connection, I was afraid because I, I had wrong beliefs. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. When I started the program and I did the, my, the 12 steps were my tools, I understood that my beliefs were wrong because my belief, I, I believed in my ego. I believed in my power. I believed that, yes, I have to be perfect. And I was all the time in competition with God. And I was punishing myself. And I was so much scared from this, 
from being punished. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. When I started to do the 12 steps, when I started to do step four, I realized that I am so happy not to want anymore to be perfect and not to, this is not my goal anymore. And thank you, God, that I don't believe that there is perfect in the world besides perfect of God. And yes, today I am not scared. Today this is my, my power, to be connected to a loving power, to an accepted power. And yes, today I know that when I am running to the food, it means that there is a blockage in my connected. And when I am disconnected with God, I am disconnected with myself too. And today I am so happy, be willing to be connected to this loving and accepted power. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Larry Kay, you're up. Thanks, Stu. Uh, thanks for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, so, you know, in this paragraph, um, you, know, I can, we, you know, I can relate to Dr. Bob um, in that, you know, he had to make a fundamental choice. And like him, we too are conf- squarely confronted with, with the choice, you know, and with the choice and action, some action needs to be taken. I mean, let's face it, this whole program is about action. And it's funny, I was reading something unrelated to the big book yesterday, and in it, they, but, but I'll tie it back, they quoted um, Jonathan Swift. And he said, vision is the art of seeing things invisible to other people. Vision is the art of seeing things invisible to other people. And it occurred to me that that was true. I had no vision uh, with, with regards to this this program when I first got here. I could not see what other people were seeing. So therefore I could not apply what they were applying. Um, and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, basically, you know, we're confronted with this choice behind door number one, you know, is, uh, you know, pay the price. There's nothing free here, pay the price. And that price is the complete destruction of his ego <clears throat> by trusting and relying upon God. You know, we call that, uh, uh, you know, through the steps, having a spiritual awakening. And, you know, behind door number two, Dr. Bob and, and, and we also are confronted, you know, that we're going to pay another price. Uh, and that price would be for the maintenance of his false pride by deluding himself into believing that his medical practice would surely be destroyed. See, I can relate to um, paying that price as well, keeping my false pride up. And so, you know, we can rationalize, you know, as he was doing here, I'll bring more suffering to my family if I admit to others, you know, I'm a drunk. Guess what? You think no one knows that you have a problem with food? <laughs> they already know. You know, oh, oh you're a normal weight, but you, but you vomit in secret every day? Or, or you work out until your eyeballs are sore? And nobody knows you're crazy? See, they, they, we're not fooling anyone. Like Dr. Bob, we're fooling no one but ourselves. And this disease doesn't play games. It will, it will chase you down faster than you can get away. There's no such thing as outrunning it. It's like, it's like running from a cheetah, you know, who's intent on having you for supper. 
see, the, achie- the cheetah applies no moral standard to killing you. Uh, it's going to get you. You can't outrun it. It can care less uh, that you volunteer at your local food pantry. You know, it's going to get you. This disease will run you down as well. Thank God for uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. It'll, it'll save your life. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Now we'll have Vasa O. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful recovered compulsive overeater, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I love this paragraph, and that was me. I had no willpower left. Whatever willpower I had, it was getting very progressive for me, the disease. And uh, it's not I did. It's not like I didn't try. I try. I've shared this so many times. I tried that for 25 years to have some kind of a control over my eating behaviors, and I could have little control here and there. But by the time I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I had just given in. I said, there's just nothing more to do. And I'm just, I gave in to the food. You know, I surrendered to the food. I said, I'm just going to die fat and miserable. And I thank God, even before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I reached out to God. And that was really weird for me because I didn't ask really God that much, you know. I, I guess, you know, I was in desperation and I remember reaching out and saying to God, you know, if you're there, please show me where you are. Help me. I didn't I didn't know what's wrong with me, you know. Well, not too long after that, I was brought into Overeaters Anonymous, you know. And, um, and I was 12-step for about a week, you know, by this wonderful person, you know. And she, you know, again... <laughs> I, I just, I can't believe I could be dead today. And I was just so ready and so willing to surrender to whatever the higher power was. I said, I don't care who I surrender to. You know, I just I, I just want some help here, you know. And I was ready to surrender to the higher power, which I call God, and I surrender to the program. And it says here, a, uh, a spiritual experience he con- conceded was absolutely necessary, but a price seemed high upon the basis suggested. And I had to pay a big price for it, you know. It doesn't come, it didn't, wasn't coming easy, you know. But no matter what, I kept on turning to God, kept coming to the program, reading the big book over and over and learning about the allergy, the, the solution. And it was like a part-time job, you know, for me, besides working at home, you know, doing my business with my daycare. It was just another part-time job. It was all worth it. I'm so grateful where I am today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, Lois M., you're up next. Hi. Good morning, Drew. Thank you for your service. This is Lois M., uh, recovered in Massachusetts. And um, I wanted to hone in here on it said, where it said the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And, and then he related his experience that no amount of willpower, Bill, no amount of willpower he could muster up would ever stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he concluded, was absolutely necessary. I did not realize, fully realize, what it meant to be a al- 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 compulsive overeater. I never realized that at all. I, I 
like the previous speaker, you know, I kept trying and trying to put down the food. I could keep it down for a day, and, and then I'd pick it up again. But my whole life at that period was either eating the food, getting all I could, beating myself up, not eating the food, and suffering. But but um, I did this for years and years and years. So did I, I never fully realized what it meant to be a compulsive overeater. And uh, and the and the amazing thing about the um, the insanity of uh, part of this disease was for years, uh, maybe maybe eight to ten or twelve years in in regular o- Overeaters Anonymous, I kept saying I, I did attend step meetings, but I didn't really realize um, I didn't really ever read in the big book what it, what was uh, the doctor's opinion. I never heard of that. But I would say every day, um, I am powerless over food. My life had become unmanageable, and this was true. And every day, I I would continue to try to apply my own way of putting down the food. And for you know, for years, I would do that, and I couldn't. I you know, later when I look back at it, I was telling myself I was powerless, and yet it didn't it didn't mean a thing to me. And as far as um, the high price to pay for sobriety abstinence and sobriety for me you know it was it was wonderful you know because the first thing that happened to me when I heard you know regarding the uh, how to apply the 12 steps was uh, and I admitted that I was powerless and I knew I had a spiritual experience hope. so I, I was riding high on hope in the beginning and, and that was able to give me the um, the energy to continue working these steps and I don't and I'm going to pass Thank you so much. We're going to open it up again for sharing. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Reva P. Reva P. Sally. Sharon H. Sharon. Okay, we'll go with those three. Reva P. Sally A. Sharon. Uh, Reva P., you're up next. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I related to two things in this paragraph. First of all, the familiar alcoholic obsession that nobody knew about my um, compulsive overeating. You know, compulsive overeating for me was my big secret. I didn't... um, binge and starve and purge and do all those things in front of people in social um, situations. It was my big secret. I would go into my apartment, close the door, and be the Jekyll and Hyde. Um, And it was my big secret, and I thought nobody knew. Um, But you know what? People did. People did based on my behaviors. And by acknowledging and admitting that big secret, that was my first step um, to freedom. Um, and today, again, I need to always remember that I'm as sick as my secrets um, and anything that I don't share in this program um, with others and with my higher power and with myself um, causes me to self-destruct. Um, the second thing I related to was that this acknowledgement that he knows a spiritual experience is absolutely necessary, but, and here's the but, whenever I say but, I know I'm in trouble, and he's arguing that 
he's going to lose his business, he's going to lose his credibility. And that's a reminder to me that as much as I say, I know my higher power is in charge and he's or she's almighty, there are times where I still think, but if I give this to my higher power, it's never going to work out. It's just not going to work out. And that's a reminder to me to constantly, constantly be developing and deepening my relationship and my trust that no matter what, God has me safe and protected and is caring for me and all those um, who I love um, and that he does a better job than I would have done. So I've got to watch out for the buts. You know, I'll give this to God, but not that. Um, That's all, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Reba. Um, Sally A. Well, good morning, Do, and good morning, the vision for you. It's Sally A., a recovered compulsive reader in South Jersey. Um, and so uh, ditto to a lot that has been said, so much good stuff. I just wanted to highlight a few other words that were spoken here in this paragraph. Um, I loved that he uses the word muster because it does feel like scraping together an abstinence. Um, I remember when I was... Uh, starting over and over and over two, three, four times a week. And, and here he's telling us that when our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster, scrape together. And that's what it felt like. I was scraping together. Let's try it again. Because like him, I could stop, but not for long. I could stop too, but not for long. And I would muster together another abstinence. Let's try it again. Until I didn't believe me. I simply didn't believe that I was going to keep doing it. I, it was the biggest, at the end, for the last few years of, of trying to uh, put the food down once and for all, I remember thinking to myself, you know, around 1 o'clock, and that was, that's where I started to feel like the werewolf, you know, where the hair was growing on my back, and I felt like I was getting ready to run through the fields like a wild animal and just start binging again, and I did. And the reason is because I didn't believe me that I was going to put the food down. I would say to myself, why are you bothering? You're not going to make it today. You might as well wait till tomorrow. You're not going to do it today. You're just wasting your time. And here's what he says, muster, the willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. And that was me. I could stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. It goes on to say a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary. I, you know, I didn't even believe that because I didn't think God was going to do it for me. I knew he would do it for you. I didn't think he would do it for me because I was pretty bad, a wretch. I didn't like me. So why would God do that for me? And he hadn't done it before, and I've been hanging around these rooms for 30 years, so why was he going to do it today? But the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. Yeah, the price is high for recovery. It's, um, I meet a lot of people that want to tinker with this thing. You know, they want to talk about getting recovered. They want to do a few of the things that they hear that they might have to do. They're all, they'll, maybe they'll do this, maybe they'll do that. They don't want to do what it takes to get recovered because it's not an easy thing to get recovered. It's like fighting for your life if you have cancer. It's like you make a decision, okay, here we go, and you work really hard. You, you show up, you suit up, and you show up. That's really all you have to do is suit up and show up for your chemo. And it's no different for getting well in this 
this disease, because it's no different, this disease is cunning, baffling, and it'll kill you. He told how we lived in constant worry. Hello, a hundred forms of fear? And he goes right down to the nitty-gritty. He was afraid people were going to find out. <laughs> well, somebody just said that really beautifully, you know. Somebody was, the thing is, yeah, I did most of my binging in secret, but I was wearing my binge on a regular basis. And finally, we get to the end, the very end of the matter. He would do anything, he said, but that. What are you willing to do? You know, I have people come to me all the time. I have to do that? Well, I'm not saying you have to do that. You don't have to do anything. Guess what? You're still an American citizen. You don't have to do anything. Do you want to get well? If you want what I have, do what I did. Do what I do. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thanks, Sally. Um, Sharon, you're up next. Good morning, Drew, and good morning to everyone out on the line. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in uh, Colorado by God's Grace and these 12 steps. Um, so in this paragraph, we see that Bill is relating his experience to Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob did agree that no amount of willpower that he might muster could stop his drinking for long. That was definitely my experience with his food addiction. And that a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed too high. Uh, he didn't think other people knew about his drinking, and he felt his job would be on the line in his reputation. Uh, he didn't, uh, and so he said he would do anything but that. And... Um, for me, coming in after many years of struggling, I could get abstinent. I was not able to stay abstinent. I had a period of time in the 90s where I was abstinent for five years. Um, but other than that, I just uh, kept starting and stopping. And so I, had, I was so discouraged by the time I started. A friend who knew me uh, suggested listening to this phone line meeting. And... Uh, I still say to this day, by God's grace, they were in the doctor's opinion um, because I just felt so ashamed and like such a failure because, you know, I'd been around so long and still had had success in another program, but it sure didn't uh, do anything in regards to my food addiction. And in listening to the doctor's opinion, um, I did finally be able to see the seriousness of this disease, that I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to the food as well, and that nothing but a spiritual experience uh, would, would make that be any different. And I listened to those people on the line. They said, think of it as a textbook, get a notebook, take notes, and I did, and I still do that today. And as a result of that, and going through this book, just like it's laid out in the big book, which I hadn't done for years and years, uh, by God's grace, I am abstinent today. Uh, and also, the thing that I realized um, after going through this process was that I had not been faithful about living uh, spiritually in steps 10, 11, and 12. I was always, uh, I got real complacent, I really did. And today I know my life depends on uh, living in steps 10, 11, and 12, making amends, continuing to develop this relationship with God that I choose to call God, and also to reach out to others and take them through this big book like I was given that opportunity to go through this big book with someone else. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, 
Anyone else would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Rachel W. Leah. Okay. Uh, Rachel W. And someone before Leah. Nessa R. Nessa R. And then Leah. Carol G. Leah. And then um, Carol G. Okay. We'll start off with um, Rachel W. Move on to Nessa R, Leah M, and then Carolyn G. Rachel, you're up. Thank you, Do. Good morning, and thank you for your service. Good morning, Mary everyone. Hi. Hi. Okay. Hi. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Proceed, Rachel. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. So, good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W. I'm Recover Compulsive of Rita, calling from New York. Um, and what hit me was similar to what hit other people in terms of the sentence. Um, uh, he had he he told he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. Well, we just you know described in the previous paragraph: the home is in arrears, the wife is ill, the children are distracted, you know, the standing is damaged, and. To me, this speaks to the story that's part of the delusion that has to be smashed in the very beginning. You know, the stories that the ability to live in stories and to think that really everything's fine, you know, weighing 265 pounds, that, that really, you know, everything looks pretty good on the externally, or, or maybe it doesn't, but I'll make a story that it does, you know, and, and it's all part of that, um, that blurriness of living you know, in that life of, of binging. And, um, and also, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wish I could be alcoholic or something else because this way no one needs to know, you know, what my, what my issues are. Like when I'm a compulsive overeater, it's like everybody knows. And I got, I got so caught up in what, what's going on in everybody else's mind and, and when really the reality was just so, so stark and so obvious, you know. And um, what, what I learned early on in this program is, is uh, and what I continue to learn, it's, it's just like every day learning more and more about the degree of honesty needed in this program. I mean, however honest I thought I was 15 years ago, um, you know, is totally different from today. And my sponsor back then, you know, she would tell me, keep your disease in the light, you know, and I imagined um, like a tree and a vine, and, 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 I re- and I learned to separate myself, like I'm the tree, you know, I'm the, I'm the strong, vibrant tree, but this disease is like a vine around me and, and tightening and sucking the energy and the life out of me. So when I would tell her things and I would tell her, you know, and for anybody listening on the line who's who's still in the food, and I know you're out there because I used to be listening to this meeting, and I was still in the food uh, a couple years ago. Um, you know, the idea is the the main um, component is honesty. Just keep it in the light. This disease molds and festers and grows in the dark. And when I take, you know, I I took my behaviors and I told her every single one, and this is what I'm doing. And and it, after a time, I didn't want to be saying those things anymore. I didn't want to be doing those things anymore. And then um, it's just about, you know, coming out of the dark and coming into the light and, and in honesty as, as, as much as we can. This is a program of honesty and action and taking the next right thing and just to be open about what I'm doing, um, honest about what I'm doing, and, and thank God, you know, for this, this fellowship because I have the ability to be honest about things and people don't even blink an eye and it's so awesome. And uh, um, so I want to just thank everyone on the line and thank you for allowing me to share and I pass. Thank you. We'll move on to Nessa R. You're next. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R. and I'm recovered in Toronto. Um, 
like everybody who has shared before me, I too um, stopped many times. Um, I stopped many times, um, and I had to keep stopping because I couldn't say stop, and I tried everything. I tried everything to control my food, to control my weight, but there came a time when things stopped working. I was unable to purge. Um, I was unable to restrict. I was unable to diet. I was unable to do anything um, to control my food or my weight, and the more I tried, the less it worked. Um, and I, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I was demoralized. I was discouraged. But, you know, now I am extremely grateful that I got to that point because if I hadn't failed at everything, if I hadn't been ashamed, discouraged, and demoralized, I would not have made it into this room, into this room and I would not have discovered um, this beautiful solution that has brought me closer to God that is the true and real permanent solution um, that has brought me to almost four years of just absolute blessing, you know, not only abstinence but recovery, not only, not only um, a loss of 70 pounds, over 70 pounds, which I have maintained, the ability to go into my closet, you know, um, a year, you know um, wearing the same clothes for summer that I wore last year and the year before without being nervous, is it going to fit? Is it not going to fit? Am I going to need to buy new clothes? Am I going to look good? Am I going to look good? You know, I don't have those fears anymore, and I, I am, you know, living a life of, 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 of happiness, of joy, and freedom. My family doesn't have to, you know, tiptoe around me, walking on eggshells, wondering what kind of mood am I going to be in this morning? You know, am I going to be in a good mood because I'm in the food? Am I going to be in a good mood because I lost three pounds? Am I going to be in a bad mood because I'm in the food uh, and I have gained back three pounds? I mean, this is such a blessing. But if I had not gotten to the point where I could not master the willingness to stop and say stop, uh, I would have never come in here and I would have never had what I have today. And for that, I'm so grateful. Um, and I will pass. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Leah M., you're up. Thanks so much, Stu. He agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long, you know, and I certainly um, identify into this bit of history between uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob. You know, I've stopped hundreds of times, hundreds of times, you know, since I was a kid uh, trying out a variety of diets and remedies and methods of controlling uh, what was very out of control and progressing rapidly. Um, so I had stopped hundreds of times, thousands of times. How do you stay stopped, you know? And, uh, you know, I could abstain from binge foods. Yes, I could. I could be off of them for a while. But someone like me, a real compulsive overeater like Dr. Bob, a real alcoholic, when I'm off of those foods for a while, I start to feel uncomfortable. You know, I start to feel impatient. I start to feel deprived. I would start to feel on edge. I would start to feel restless and irritable and discontent. And, of course, uh, those thoughts and those feelings would begin to crowd my mind like, uh, you know, monkey chatter in the zoo. 
and it would get louder and louder, and the volume would continue to progress and turn up and turn up and turn up and turn up, that at some point I must shut them up. And the only way someone like me, a real compulsive reader, knows how to turn down the volume on restless irritability and discontentment and get relief is to eat. And the big book calls that the obsession of the mind, that my main problem centers in my mind. And that is something I did not know, just like Dr. Bob did not know that until Bill W. related his experience. Experience precedes insight. I did not know that my real problem was in my mind, that my mind uh, persuades me, convinces me to pick up that first bite, and then, of course, I trigger the allergy, and it's all, uh, you know, we're back to the races again. Um, You know, I needed to understand, I needed an education about the exact nature of my condition. I knew I had a problem with uh, compulsive overeating. I knew I had a problem with certain foods. I did not know how my disease functioned. And that education came from the big book. And that education came from people who had experience that there is a way to live without having to compulsively overeat. However, I've got to not eat to experience that way of life and to proceed through the steps. But the secret to living without having to compulsive overeat is the 12 steps and that spiritual awakening that, yes, it is possible to be relieved of this mental obsession uh, through this spiritual experience. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. Carolyn G., you're up. Good morning, Ju. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Du, and thanks, Vision, for you for being here for me. What a wonderful meeting. It's Carol G. Recovered in England. These directions in this book, they're not a tall order for me compared to what I went through in my own self-will. I'm really seeing myself in this paragraph. I lived in constant fear of being found out to be a failure. Um, And even (laughs) I even showed up to OA at my first meeting in a disguise. I was so humiliated. I mean, I was a healthcare professional. I had the power to heal people. Why not me? Why couldn't I help me? I had the power to help people in my family and my friends. I was the person that people would turn to. But why not me? I couldn't help me. And all I could hear all the time when I was reading that was, physician, heal thyself, physician, heal thyself. And it was those words that brought me some relief in the old days. But Because I couldn't do this for myself, I didn't actually realize how much I needed this spiritual awakening. I didn't realize how much because I can't see myself. I can't see myself clearly because when I look in a mirror, my mind will distort it. And one of the reasons I think, looking back now, why I couldn't make that decision like Dr. Bob is I wanted my family to come with me on the journey. I wanted my friends to come with me on the journey. They didn't need the program. I needed the program. And I just wanted their approval and them to say, yes, you're doing the right thing. But no one ever, ever, ever gave it to me. And years marched on, years in the compulsion while I just debated this. And my pride kept me from doing what I needed to do to get free. And then providence happened. My body decided I'm finished. It collapsed. It said, I'm not not putting up with your nonsense any longer. And I had to make a decision. I had to come into the program. I had to fully join. And it became a stepping stone. Having a physical allergy was a stepping stone for me to get recovered. 
and now I do this today on a oh for so many reasons but I do it because no one would have a sister if I didn't work this program no one would have a daughter or a mother or a friend and today I can give out so much love because it's been poured through me today I'm doing Carol's Carol's um sorry God's role not my role and I'm assigned to be what I am and in truth when I was first told about Overeaters Anonymous and I told them that I was a bit of a rescuer, I wanted to be Superman. I'm sorry I did. I did not want to be Clark Kent in the phone booth dialing Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't. I wanted to be Superman. But I am who I am. And I'm so grateful to be who I am. And it's all thank you to Overeaters Anonymous and thank you, Vision, for you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Carol G. Uh, uh, Carolyn G. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be chiming in on this paragraph, but before I do that, um, uh, I heard someone else that wanted to share on this paragraph. Would that person like to identify themselves? Would anyone else like to it's share? Miriam on this L. in New Jersey. Miriam L. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna let you go ahead, and then I'm gonna close it up with the with the share. Thank you. Hi, this is Miriam Al, gratefully recovering a day at a time in this program. Um, sorry, I had trouble with my muting before. Um, so there was a lot I related to in this paragraph. I think the first thing was desperate desire because when I, when I finally reached my bottom, I would do anything. I felt an absolute desperation. It was like the part of the big book where, you know, God said, um, God said, sorry, um, where, you know, Bill said, alcohol, you are my master. And I just felt like, you know, food... You are my master, and and at that point I was desperate, and I was willing to do anything, um, and you know had earnestly tried many avenues of escape, and I had tried everything, um, and I had been in OA for years, doing um, going to meetings and having white knuckle abstinence, but I got to a certain point where I just couldn't I couldn't live that way any any longer. Um, and thankfully, I came upon someone who had worked the steps as laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I followed those suggestions, and uh, my life turned around completely. And um, just backing up to um, uh, paragraph two, um, the other thing is, I'm, I'm a little bit jumbled here, but um, the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. You know, what the price was for me was really letting go of all of my beliefs about how how to do this. Um, I, you know, no amount of willpower, not just willpower around the food, but willpower around my life, that I had to be willing to believe in a power greater than myself who could restore me to sanity in every area of my life and that I had to give up self-will completely. Um, later in here it says how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about alcoholism. When I was in the food, I was constantly thinking, oh, my God, who's going to notice? Who's going to see me? When I would go to places and buy my binge foods, I would, be, I would make up excuses in the back of my mind of why I was getting all this food. I was on an all-night study session or whatever, you know, in case someone were to grill me and say, you know, why are you buying all that food? Um, you know, and it was just, there was so much shame. And... Um, you know, and I just feel so grateful that, you know, I don't I do not do that anymore, that I have had a spiritual experience 
which has changed my life as a result of working these steps. And, um, you know, I just feel so blessed that for today I, I have a life and it's not based on shame. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Marianne. And I also would like to share on this paragraph, this is Duel Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, and it says here, you know, that he, he realized that he had no willpower um, to muster up, stop drinking for a long time. And then he also conceded that he needed the spiritual experience to recover. But when he had reservations, it put him in a precarious situation. And I know when I came into program, that was one of the first things I had to, um, had to concede, that if I was planning to stop eating compulsively, there must be no reservation of any kind, any lurking notion that someday I will be immune to my binge foods. So that was the first thing that I had to concede. The second thing that I had to concede was found on page 79 where it says, reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. We ask that we be given strength direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. But this is the point. We may lose our position or reputation or even face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. And the reason why I can't shrink at anything is because of what page 75 says, that we pocket our pride and go at it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. And once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. So if I want to get that spiritual experience, if I want to be connected to my creator, if I want uh, my, the, the feeling problem, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the eating problem to disappear, which often uh, comes strongly, I need to take the steps without any reservations. And a lot of times when I came into program, I had a lot of reservations. I would say, I would do this, and I'm willing to put these types of food down, but I'm not going to put every food down. And, you know, and that kept me back from getting the spiritual experience. And so here, um, Dr. Bob is confronted with that. He's confronted with, you know, his reputation, his pride, his... his um, his livelihood, and, you know, and what I heard in program is that if anything that I put ahead of my recovery, I'm going to lose it. But if I put my recovery ahead of everything else, I'm going to gain it. And experience has shown for me that that is true. And it's, and it's been true for so many countless other recovered people that have put their recovery first, and they have gained things beyond their wildest dreams. You know, um, and it's not promising us a, a, a life of luxury. It's not promising us, you know, riches or glory, but it's, it's promising us serenity, peace, tranquility, things that I could never buy, things that I could never get. And this is what the promise of the big book uh, gives me if I have no reservations, if I take the steps the way they're outlined. And, yes, there might be some consequences. I may lose some things. But the outcome that I will gain is far more than anything that I could ever dream of. And with that, I pass. And that uh, brings us to the closing of our meeting. And um, we will now, I, I thank everyone that has shared, uh, especially um, 
the readers, um, Chris F, Nancy S, Eileen B, and Sharon H. I'm going to have you um, take us out with the reading of, of the big book. Um, but before that, I would like to um, please join us for the second hour of an unrecorded um, hour of study immediately followed by the closing. I will have Sharon H. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only um, and until the end and followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon H. Yes, thank you, Du. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Thank you, God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. Excuse me. Uh, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.